Well, good morning, everyone. Hey, this morning, thanks to technology, I'm actually in two places. I mean, I'm right here with you, and I'm at our campus at this very moment, speaking the same message to people at our drive-in and outdoor service. And we're calling it a drive-in and outdoor service because, yes, cars drive in, and there's a spot for you if you want to come and check that out, where you can be in the, in the comfort of your own car and the safety and experience there and listen to the service live through the FM radio or even roll down your window. But we also have a socially distanced seating area where it's kind of roped off. It's a roped off section for people who are healthy, ready to start returning to public gathering for the encouragement of being together in one place to worship Jesus together. So our plan for now is to have options depending on your health and your comfort level. So I encourage you to stay, uh, stay connected through social media and through the emails that we send out and we'll keep you posted all along the way. Well, growing churches have to learn how to change and how to adapt to things that happen in society. We never want to change the message of the gospel, right? That's something to preserve and protect. But as culture changes and as our conditions in our environment change, then we have to flex and change too. And so we're going to do that. Matter of fact, in a little bit, if you have uh, if you have a cup of juice handy and some bread, I brought some apple juice and a little piece of a muffin. We're going to do communion at, at the end of the service. And so if you have a moment and you have it nearby, get a piece of bread, get some juice, whatever you might have there at the house. And I'll lead us in communion here in a little bit. So here we are in this series, studying the book of Acts. And I love this book because it is rich in history and in powerful stories of the Holy Spirit working in and through the lives of his people. And uh, it's the church, again, it is not a building, right? It's a people called by God's name, set apart, filled with the Holy Spirit. Today, May 31st, we celebrate Pentecost Sunday. And this is the day in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit came in power to fill us with spiritual gifts. And we talked about that from Acts chapter 2. And we're going to celebrate Pentecost as we kind of go through this message and again as we take communion together. So let me give you a little context. By this point, the church, you'll remember Jesus had died. He rose again. He ascended into heaven. He said, wait in Jerusalem for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit was poured out. And then we looked at how the church began to multiply and grow exponentially. Uh, It was crazy. Matter of fact, in the city of Jerusalem, probably 40,000 people in the city. Now there are over 12,000 believers that are there and it's multiplying daily. And so we're talking about a major move of God. Kenneth Scott Latourette, noted history professor at Yale, said this. He said, never in so short a time has any other religious faith or for that matter, any other set of ideas, religious, political or economic, ever achieved so commanding a position in such an important culture without the aid of physical force or social or cultural prestige. I mean, Think about it. Other movements spread by conquest, by politics, by power, but not Christianity. 
That's where we are today. So if you have a Bible, open it up or click on the tab uh, above. Chapter 6, verse 1. So now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. The early church had set up a food bank to care for the needs of the people. There were a lot of needs in that day. And we know for sure that one of the target ministry groups that this food bank was set up in order to meet the needs of were widows in that time. Widows. Acts 6 is where our food bank, Sir Spokane, kind of got its inspiration. Sir Spokane feeds widows, children, refugees, the unemployed, the underemployed, men, women, and children. Serve Spokane feeds well over a thousand people every month. And as a church, we also, along with Serve Spokane, help feed a hundred children every week through the uh, Second Harvest Buy to Go program. So matter of fact, today in the service, I would love us to bless Serve Spokane with a special offering. We do that a couple times a year, and it really boosts their ability to serve needs in our community. So if you'd like to be a part of that, um, all you have to do is to go to the Give tab and make sure when you're online and you're giving that you do the drop-down box for Serve Spokane. Or if you do text to give as well, there's a drop-down box that will have Serve Spokane on it, and you can choose that option to make a special gift. But I love that because we're, we're able to, in a practical way, share the good news of Jesus, not only to to give food and to help in a time of need, but also to give hope, the very hope of the gospel. Well, on Pentecost Sunday, here we are talking about Acts chapter 6, talking about the first food bank set up in the New Testament. But in this fast growing, kind of exploding church, there's a problem. There's a problem that breaks out in the food bank as they're distributing food. There were widows who were called Hellenists, and then there were another group of widows called Hebrews. And they were different from each other. They, they had a different language. Uh, matter of fact, the Hellenists spoke Greek and the Hebrew widows spoke Aramaic. They had different cultural influences. And since they were all living in Jerusalem, the Hebrew Jews kind of had an edge over the Hellenistic Jews who were Greek cultured. And whether it was intentional racism or unintentional privilege, we don't really know. The passage doesn't tell us that. But history is rife with these kinds of injustices, right? Church, this is a significant threat. Nothing is used by Satan more effectively than privilege, distrust, which leads to resentment in the church. And this is Satan's third major attack on this early church. You remember in Acts chapter 4, Satan attacked it through a persecuting government. In Acts chapter 5, last weekend, Pastor Nate talked about the church being attacked through hypocrisy. And then in Acts chapter 6, we see the enemy attacking it through disunity. Now, this might be the most serious of all the attacks. Did you know that in America, Sunday mornings are the most segregated hour of the week? God has one church, many colors, many ethnicities, and heaven will be filled with every tongue and tribe worshiping together. And so we need God's 
spirit of humility and empowerment in order to experience that unity now. So there's this accusation that's made in this fast-growing church that some people are being neglected, that some people are being served in a privileged manner. And the apostles heard it and they received it and they restructured how this Jerusalem food bank was going to operate. And uh, they wanted to meet all the needs in a very just way. The church, to their credit, didn't protect their existing structures or systems. And yet they recognized something was wrong. And so they went ahead and made those changes. And it's interesting to me how, how so many churches are resistant to change. And yet change is inevitable. Matter of fact, that's what keeps you healthy and keeps us growing and keeps us following God. Matter, think of some of the ministries that have life cycles and have changes, right? And, and we need to pay attention to those changes like a life group. Life groups often will go for a couple years and then something will change it and it'll be restructured or sometimes they actually die. And then you're to, not to not go to a life group anymore, but then to look to God in prayer for the next one that he would have you to join. Sometimes life groups multiply or a new leader gets sent out. And so it changes it, changes the dynamic. And so it doesn't matter whether it's a life group or a whole ministry. Uh, Mops, for example, has been a ministry for years now that we've done in our church. It's been super fruitful and effective. So thankful for all of the leaders that have both initiated it and kept it going through the years. All the moms that have been ministered to, but it's in the process of a change right now. And we're looking for the next new thing God's doing that we can join him in his work. And so change happens, right? We see that in the early church. So the apostles, they see that there's a need for change in their food bank. And so they recommend, let's, I want you guys to nominate seven people who are known for their faith in God. They're known for their compassionate lifestyle. And they are known for the Holy Spirit working through them in a powerful way. And here's what it says in verse two. Look with me. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Now, when you look at this verse, when you first look at it, I mean, it kind of it kind of sounds like they just wanted to maybe drink coffee and study the Bible. And yet what, what we see here is that they're saying, no, we want you brothers to pick other leaders in order to help serve these different needs. And you know what they ended up doing? They appointed seven guys to be in this leadership, shared leadership team, and many of them were Hellenistic. Many of them were going to represent this underrepresented group. I love what they did and I love how they did it. Jesus was the example of a servant and the apostles had followed Jesus, right? Jesus had washed their feet and said, now go and do likewise. The apostles were servants to the core. Many of them laid down their very life for the gospel. So they obviously weren't saying, hey, I don't want to distribute food or I don't want to clean tables. They were just saying, we want other people to be involved in using their spiritual gifts in fulfilling the calling God has on their lives, 
just like we are doing in our own life. Remember, the core of Christian commitment is service. Every Christ follower who has the Holy Spirit living in them, working through them, leading them, has a ministry, has a, at least one spiritual gift that's given to you. Do you know you have a ministry assignment with your name written on it? Are you doing it? Do you know what it is? It may be something that you absolutely love doing, but it also may be something that you do in order to just serve a need. I love giving messages. I love being with people. I love meeting practical needs. I don't always love preparing for messages, praying or studying the word and laboring for a day or two over putting together a message, right? We don't always do everything that we love doing. We do the things that we've been called to do, gifted to do, and assigned by the Holy Spirit to do. Some of you parents with special needs kids, you know what I'm talking about. You pour out day after day, week after week in ways that few people will ever understand. And you don't do it because it's always fun or always fulfilling. You do it because it's your calling. You do it because God has assigned something to you. And yes, it's a blessing, but there are many days where it is just pouring out in sacrifice and love for others. So the apostles say in verse four, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. They're not saying we're more important, therefore that's what we should do. They're saying, no, the word of God and prayer is more important. And that's why we need to faithfully study it and preach it and teach it in a way that others will be able to get it and we can lay a foundation that's solid. Based on God's calling, nothing is more important than prayer and the word of God. And that's why every time you open up your Bible and study it, every time you do a daily devotion, every time you pray and just make that relationship with Jesus more intimate and we learn how to listen to the voice of the Spirit, that that's the most important thing we can do because then we know how to love our family well. We know how to live our lives and, and lead other people. Verse 5 says, And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And it goes on to say they picked six other guys too. Again, it was this kind of multi-ethnic team, shared leadership. But Stephen, Stephen's introduced here. Now, Stephen is a key character in the book of Acts. And we're going to look more about his life next week as we look at Acts chapter 7. Because this guy's a stud. I mean, this guy was the first Christian martyr. And he's, he's a guy, he, he's a man's man. I mean, this guy was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was a leader people looked up to. He was a guy that God was doing miracles, all out miracles through him. People wanted him to pray for them. I mean, he was this amazing preacher and teacher. We'll see his sermon, one of the longest sermons in the New Testament preached. And yet, where do we find Stephen? We find him wiping down tables, serving tables, serving meals to widows. He's helping lead the food bank. He obviously was this capable, gifted theologian, a good preacher, a great leader, a man filled with the spirit. I mean, he, miracles were happening through him. And yet what we see in the life of Stephen is he said, it's not about me. 
It's about serving the body of Christ. And whatever I can do to serve, I'm happy to fill that gap. And it's amazing to me that service, those seemingly insignificant, what Stephen did had this huge effect on the church. Not only did he help preserve church unity and fix a problem that existed, but his service led to the conversion of some of the chief priests, some of the greatest antagonists in the community. And his life and death would end up leading to the conversion of the church's chief prosecutor, Saul. Our desire here at North Church is to be a place marked by humble service. And I don't mind saying that I, I love the heart of this church, the way so many of you serve in ministry, that your love for the church, your love for each other is one of the most effective apologetics you can ever offer, we can ever offer to skeptics. I hear story after story of how you love and how you sacrifice, how you serve and the generosity by which you give to others. And your love and your service for our city is a powerful witness of God's grace. Everyone in this church is called to serve. No one is called to sit back as a spectator and kind of applaud the efforts of others, but we're all called together, one body to serve together. So where do you serve? How do you know where to serve or what to do? Well, where have you been gifted? What is your skill set? Where is your place of passion? And most importantly, where is a place of great need? Regardless of that. I love the heart that says, you know what? I can do surgery, but I'm happy to park cars. I could lead a worldwide organization, but I would be more than happy and love to serve and serve Spokane. I can run a whole school, but if the nursery needs me to hold some babies, I'm more than willing. And I see that, those very examples happening right here in the church all the time in so many different ways. God does his greatest work through ordinary people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse seven says, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Stephen, doing these great wonders and signs. He preaches the longest sermon in the book of Acts, which we'll read about next week. And the Holy Spirit, what is the Holy Spirit trying to tell us through this? That ordinary people like Stephen filled with the Holy Spirit, can do everything an apostle can do. John 16, 7, Jesus actually told his disciples it would be better if he went away because only then could the Spirit come. He said, greater works than these will you do. Think about the absurdity of that statement on the surface. I mean, how awesome would it be to have Jesus on your ministry team? You're throwing a church fellowship and you run out of checks mix. Bam, Jesus multiplies the remaining crumbs so that you have enough for all your guests plus 12 bowls more. Or you have a headache, bam, you're healed. Or a difficult question in the Bible, bam, it's answered. Or your dog gets run over, bam, he resurrects your dog back to life. Or maybe your cat gets run over, bam, Jesus helps bury it. Okay, so maybe that's not exactly what it would be like, but wouldn't it be great 
to have Jesus right here. Jesus said the power of the Holy Spirit at work in ordinary believers would be greater than his presence beside one. And you see that in the life of Stephen. From start to finish, Stephen's life screams, it's not about me. It's not about my self-actualization or getting the respect I deserve. It's about serving. It's about waiting tables. It's about meeting the need. It's not about me obtaining blessing and walking and notoriety or prosperity, but it's about directing people's attention to Jesus. Where did Stephen get that kind of courage and selflessness? Well, when he looked up into heaven, what did he see? He saw Jesus stretching out nail-pierced hands ready to receive him. Jesus, the Lord of the universe, who had given up his life for Stephen. Stephen is becoming to others what Jesus had been to him. It's not all about me, was his mantra. You want to overcome the world? Serve. Confess that it's not about you. Submit to obedience, to your calling, to the assignment. God has your name written on, whatever the cost. For others, God has called you to something sacrificial or uncomfortable, to serve in some ministry, maybe in the church that makes you uncomfortable. Maybe it's a difficult financial sacrifice he's calling you to do or make, or maybe even for a few, it's to go overseas, to do a mission trip, or maybe even to live there permanently. It's only confidence in the risen Jesus that gives you the ability to obey in that kind of way. Now, I want to lead us in communion. So if you, if you got that piece of bread and that juice from your kitchen, I want you to, to uh, bring it back here. And we're going to do that together. We're going to take communion. And, and you know why it doesn't need to be blessed by a priest or it doesn't need to be done within the structure of a church building is because it's what it represents. That the juice represents the blood, Jesus' blood shed for you and me on the cross for the forgiveness of our sin, that we could be made right with God. And the bread, the bread represents his body broken for you and me, that we could be unified. He was broken so that we could be made whole. And so as we sing this next song and as we worship together, I wanna to invite you just to say a prayer along with me. We're gonna bless those elements and then we're going to take communion. You take it when you feel ready during this song. As we're singing it and worshiping, I want you to just eat some of the bread, drink some of the juice, and remember. What are we remembering? We're remembering Jesus. He died. He rose again. He ascended to the Father. And he sent the Holy Spirit. And that's why we celebrate Pentecost Sunday, is that it is the coming and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So would you pray with me? Lord God, we just thank you for your goodness and grace. And we ask, Lord, right now, would you help life not be about us, Lord? Help us, each one of us, just be able to say like Stephen, it's not about me. It's not about me, Lord. How can I serve you? How can I serve your people? How can I serve this world? And so, Lord, we're asking that you bless the bread and you bless the cup 
And Lord, that you would help us to experience you in this moment as we take communion, as we worship you. We invite your presence here with us right now in Jesus' name, amen.
so far away and our hearts have turned from you. We've pursued so many other things, Lord, and we just wanna return back to your presence. Lord, we know that your kindness leads us to repentance. And Lord, we need you, just let your kindness just speak and sing your song over us, Lord, right now. Remind us and show us that you've always been near, you've always been present. We've never been forsaken. The hard times, Lord, the high times, the, the times of despair and the times of joys, the hills and the valleys, Lord, you've always been there. And Lord, so we just turn to you right now. With everything we have, we just turn to you. Come walk with us. Come be with us. Reveal yourself to us. We ask this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed yourself with us today. Next week, we'll have our services again at 9 and 11 a.m. And we look forward to having you join us again.